Hi, today we look at what it costs to follow Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. We will skip verse 1 to 17 and look at that together with verse 18 to 34 as a series of healings tomorrow. But today, we look at what Jesus said about following him and then we look at what Jesus did when there was a storm. Let's turn now to Matthew 8, verse 18 to 27, and let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us, that in from the depths of our hearts we may trust you. We may trust you as our Lord, we may trust you as our Saviour. We may trust you as God who cares deeply for us. And then, Lord, we will love you and your people. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Matthew 8, 18-27 When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter 8 verse 1 begins the ministry of Jesus. And it begins with Jesus coming down from the mountains after teaching and hordes of people ran after him. Many of these were sick, and Jesus healed them. And so they wanted to follow him. After all, it made perfect sense to follow Jesus. He had in his preaching taught the people how to live their lives peacefully. What he taught made perfect sense. He told them that God would care for them, and that they did not have to worry about their food or drink or clothes. Best of all, Jesus demonstrated that what he had taught concerning God caring for them was true by healing all the diseases. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus when offered so much security? And then a teacher of the law came and said, Well then, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. What's there not to follow? I mean, he gave all the security that anyone needed. But Jesus told them, that he had no home to return to. And to another who wanted to follow him as his disciple, Jesus said, but said to Jesus, but let me first bury my father. What that probably meant also was that at that time there would be a declaration of his inheritance. And Jesus said, well, let that go. Let the dead bury the dead. It's not for you to continue this sort of life. Come and follow me. Jesus was basically telling him, forget, forgo your inheritance, 
go all these things, come and follow me. In fact, those who wanted to follow Jesus would have to give up many things to follow him. This was a surprise and a blow to anyone who wanted to follow Jesus. Didn't Jesus show that everything would be taken care of? Didn't Jesus say that they would be living in peace with no anxiety? Why this sudden change of heart? Have you ever noticed that Jesus has double standards? One standard for the world that he loves very much and another standard for himself and all who choose to follow him? Think about this, that Jesus has double standards. But his double standards are just the opposite of the way we look at double standards. Often we have a standard that is very favourable to us and unfavourable to others. In this case, Jesus had a standard that was very favourable to the world he loves and far less favourable to himself. Consider this. On two occasions at least, maybe more, Jesus fed thousands of people once for 5,000 and another time 4,000 people. And yet when he was hungry after he had fasted 40 days, when he had a chance to turn stone into bread, that was simple for him. After all, he's the son of God. Why not? He refused to do that. He refused to work that miracle. Jesus told the people that birds neither planted nor harvested, yet God provided for them daily. And then he said, look, aren't you far, far more valuable than the birds? Surely if God would care, feed the birds, how much more will he feed you? And yet here Jesus says that the birds have nests to return to, but he does not have a place to sleep in. Is he less valuable than the birds? If the birds have nests, why shouldn't Jesus then have a mansion? But instead Jesus says the birds have nests, I do not have a home to go to. The most glaring evidence that Jesus applied a very loving and compassionate standard to his disciples, listeners and the common people, while giving himself a very austere standard, was at his crucifixion, where the soldiers mocked him, not the soldiers, sorry, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, his own Jewish people whom he came to save, mocked him and said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the throne, from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. What a double standard. He loves others. He provides for them. He gives them homes. He came that they may have a home in heaven. Yet he did not have a home on earth. Jesus came preaching that God loves his people, that he would take care of them. But he also knew that in order to heal, to minister to and to tell people of God's love in this loveless, cruel, and unbelieving world, he himself had to suffer. God would give, would give his all to people and care for his people. 
But in doing so, God would have to suffer greatly. God would assure each person a home in heaven. But in order to do that, Jesus would have to forego his home on earth. Jesus knew that his time on earth was not so much to enjoy, not to enjoy at all the luxuries of this world. But he had come with a mission to save the world and to reconcile the world to God. And so Jesus had to let his followers know this before they joined him. The mission of all who would follow Jesus is not to enjoy the pleasures of this world. It is to draw men and women to God. And in the process, we may have to suffer in order to bring blessings to others. I've often been asked about the purpose of life. Since we do not seem to be exempt from our suffering, our purpose is to bring the good news of God's love into all the world. We will bring healing and blessing to people, but sometimes we ourselves may not enjoy these blessings. Let me tell you the story of Peter. Peter was living a wild, extravagant, crazy life. He ran, he owned bars and was an immoral man. One day, Peter had cancer. And his cancer was so serious that it wrecked his whole body. Someone prayed for Peter. Peter was miraculously healed. Completely miraculously healed. Because of his healing, Peter gave his life to Jesus. And Peter became so much in love with Jesus and so enthusiastic about telling people about God's love. He became an evangelist, spent a lot of time ministering to people, praying for others, telling them of the kingdom of God. A few years later, Peter had a relapse. This time the cancer was even worse. But Peter was so consumed by his desire to tell people of Jesus' love that he saw his relapse rather than seeing his relapse as an obstacle, as a departure of God or as failure, unfaithfulness of God. He saw instead his relapse as a tool, an instrument to continue and to further his ability to share God's love with others. When I was introduced to him and I was asked to serve communion to him, sat there listening to, how, to him sharing his testimony. I heard how he himself was amazed at the paradox that though he had become sick again, more people were being ministered to by him. He started a support group for cancer sufferers and their loved ones, and he ministered to them. He continued to pray fervently for their healing. Some were healed, others were comforted by him. But Peter's condition grew worse and worse. But Peter also realised that there were people who could not be ministered to by others except by him. There was one man, a very rich Chinese tycoon, who also lived a very reprobate life. This man also contracted cancer, 
But he refused to listen to any pastor because he saw all pastors as whims. And he said he had no time for such people. But his wife remembered that Peter used to be his friend. Peter was rough like him, foul-mouthed like him. And so the wife called Peter. Peter was already very ill. But Peter pushed himself and made it to the hospital to visit this tycoon. There, Peter shared the gospel with the tycoon. The tycoon received Jesus as his Lord. One of Peter's last acts was when he was really ill. By then, he was already coughing out blood. He should have been in hospital, but insisted on going home. So he was brought home, almost immobile, racked with pain and sickness. And then he received a call by parents of a girl who was very ill, asked that Peter go and minister to her. Peter asked his wife to put him on a wheelchair and get a taxi, and painfully he made his way to the hospital and ministered to the girl. He died shortly after. Peter saw his illness as part of his being effective in reaching out to others. It wasn't that Peter didn't believe in healing. He prayed fervently for others to be healed. In fact, the reason he became a Christian was because he was miraculously healed. So of course he believed in miraculous healing. But he too saw that in this very broken world, sometimes his illness, his inability to be healed, would become an instrument of God's blessing. And through it all, Peter accepted whatever came his way and used it to advance God's kingdom. God does not leave us abandoned. After this incident of Jesus telling his disciples that, um, that he had no place to rest, he then led his disciples to a boat and as they were sailing, a storm struck them. His disciples were frantic. How much do we trust God? In fact, we ask the same question, if God would sacrifice himself, how much can we trust him to help us? How much, if Jesus really has two standards, a compassionate standard to those who don't, who are, whom he came to save, and a very much more sacrificial standard for himself, those who follow him, how much then can we rest in Jesus? His disciples might have felt the insecurity as they cried out, Lord, don't you know that we are drowning, we will die? And Jesus calmed the storm. Just because Jesus offers himself to the world does not mean that Jesus no longer loves his disciples. Jesus loves his disciples, his followers, more than anything on earth. He loves us more than he loves himself. And though storms will arise, Jesus will still calm the storms. But what Jesus wants us to learn today is that though he will always be with us, that there will be times when we require by our love for the people whom Jesus loves, when we will be required when we are consumed, so consumed by this love for the world, that we too would 
hold on to Jesus and share in his suffering. That as Jesus gave up the pleasures of this life, as Jesus sacrificed for the world, he calls us to, in our love for the world, to sacrifice ourselves. Jesus doesn't love us less when he does that for, to us. In fact, he loves us so much. But he calls us to willingly lay our lives down for others as well. We do have to count the cost. But this, the reward of following Jesus, will be that we too will be so consumed by God's love for the world that we will be willing, step by step, to give of ourselves to the world. But in the meantime, as we follow Jesus, Jesus will continue to stop calm our storms and to assure us that He is God and that He is with us. Let us pray. Father, day by day, teach me to love the world as you love the world. Teach me to want to bless those around me even as you bless those around you. Teach me to see the suffering. Teach me to see that they are like sheep without a shepherd, longing for someone to tell them that you are their shepherd. And God then, day by day, teach me what it means to lay down my rights, my pleasures, my desires, that I may join you in your love for the world and join you in your suffering as well. That together we may see the resurrection, not just of ourselves, but of the people that you love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.